Chapter 7 of Campfire Girls in the Allegheny Mountains. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Campfire Girls in the Allegheny Mountains by Stella M. Francis. Chapter 7 To the Rescue. Boys, we've got to do something, declared Patrol Leader Ernie Hunter, breaking the gaping silence that followed the reading of the note. "'What shall we do?' asked Harry Gilbert, who was a good soldier but no leader. "'We must go to Mr. Stanlock's rescue,' Ernie replied. "'There is no telling what those rascals are plotting. "'They may kill him if we don't get there in time to prevent it. "'It's a long hike, and we may not be able to get there in time,' Paul Hunter warned. "'That means we've got to move mighty fast,' Ernie said. Boys, get your guns and a supply of shells. I hope we won't have to use them, but we'd better be well prepared. We're going to be late getting back, so you may as well grab some bread and dried beef and anything else you can find in a jiffy to eat on the way. We've got to start in three minutes. Now everybody hustle. Paul, you and Jerry had better run home and stay there till morning. Ernie added, turning to his brother. Jerry was scarcely any larger than Paul, although the latter was a year younger. Ernie felt a slightly nervous responsibility for the safety of the twin babies of the bunch, as someone had already referred to them in the course of the day. Jerry, who, like Paul, was an extremely likable fellow, resented being called the baby of the patrol a term sometimes applied to him when the scouts were dealing in jocular personalities. "'Not much are we going home,' declared Paul energetically. "'Are we, Jerry? I'm going along and carry my target rifle with the rest. What do you say, Jerry?' "'I'm with you,' the latter announced with spirit. "'They can't leave us behind.' "'But you can't make the trip fast enough,' Ernie insisted." We'll have to run part of the way, and the ground is rough, and the snow and ice on the road make it hard travelling. We've got over two miles of that kind of hiking to do, and less than an hour to do it in. We can make it just as well as anybody else in this bunch, declared Paul stoutly. Well, come along then, but you will have to obey orders, said Ernie, speaking as one with military authority. We're operating under martial law tonight, and if you insist on coming along, you must expect to be treated like a soldier. Everybody bring your gun and flashlight. It's cloudy now and will be dark before long. In scarcely more time than it takes to tell it, the boys had possessed themselves of their guns, flashlights, overcoats, hats, and a bite to eat on the run and were dashing out along the path leading down to the road that skirted the foothill to the southward. Presently, however, they slowed down to a dog trot at the suggestion of Clifford Long, who warned his fellow scouts against tuckering themselves out. They continued along in this manner half a mile, and then, by common consent, reduced their pace to a walking long stride, as they proceeded thus, Ernie said to Clifford Long and one or two others nearest him, 
I'm afraid we've made a mistake in not doing one thing that has just occurred to me. What I ought to have done was to hurry home, got the automobile and made a race for the police station while you boys made this trip. In that way we could have had a double chance of catching those bandits. If everything had gone smoothly, I might even have beaten you boys to the scene of the hold-up with an auto-load of police. I could have left word, too, for someone to call up Mr. Stanlock's office and warn him, if by any chance he had been delayed. I don't think much of that suggestion, replied Clifford, for if they haven't got him started by this time, they're not likely to get him going their way tonight. But the other had been a good one. It's too bad you didn't think of it sooner. Too late now, said Ernie. We've got to make the best of it. Who do you suppose those two men are that we saw come out of the cave? Miles Berryman inquired. The chances are ninety-nine out of a hundred that this affair is connected directly with the strike, Clifford replied with confident assurance. The highwaymen who plotted this scheme doubtless belong to the rougher element of the strikers. They are really dangerous men, and the community would be much safer if they were lodged in prison. How do you suppose they got your uncle to come away out here at the time when he usually starts home for dinner, that is, if he really came this way? asked Hal Ettelson. That's the very thing that's bothering me most, Clifford replied, with puzzled air. Uncle is usually pretty shrewd, and I am pretty certain that people who try to put anything over on him generally find that they have a hard job on their hands. I'd take it from the note Jerry found that this is a decoy game they're trying to work, Ernie remarked. It'd have to be a sharp one to get my uncle, declared Clifford. He's a very clever businessman. The smartest men get caught once in a while, was Ernie's sage remark. That must have been a chauffeur who wrote that note, observed Johnny St. John. It read as if a chauffeur was the brains of this plot. If we get there on time, he won't have much to chauffeur it. Chauffeur it. Oh, Johnny twice, groaned Earl Hamilton. Don't spoil your good deed of finding that note by springing any more of that stuff. You're taking an affair advantage of us. We can't stop now to duck you in a snowdrift. The road was not broken all the way for good walking, so that the boys were forced to put forth their best efforts in order to reach the place of the plotted ambush on time. Their pace, therefore, varied from a rapid walk to a run, according as their wind and leg muscles supplied the needed endurance. Paul and Jerry found it pretty hard to keep up with the other boys during the last three-quarters of a mile, especially when they struck a poorly broken snowdrift or a stretch of ground covered with rocks or rough ice. They were quite elated, however, at their ability to keep their feet in these rough places, after seeing two of the larger boys slip and fall. It was almost dark by the time they reached the vicinity of the sand stretch, 
referred to in the note found by Johnny two times. This stretch was a sand bed of several acres in extent, between which and High Peak was a large stone quarry. The road ran between the sand stretch, which, of course, was now frozen and covered with snow, and the quarry. The approach to this was sheltered, fortunately, for the concealment of the boy rescuers, by a growth of timber extending down the mountain slope to the road. Ernie called a halt about two hundred yards from the point in the road which appeared the most favourable place for an ambush. Let's leave the road and make our way through the trees, he suggested. There comes the automobile, exclaimed Paul excitedly, pointing down the road to the southwest. Yes, a machine was approaching about two miles away. The long stream of light from the electric lamps could be seen, almost hitting the sky, as the auto began to climb a steep hill. Evidently it had just turned into this highway from another thoroughfare, leading direct from the city. Come on, we must hurry, said Ernie, dashing into the timber. Be careful, don't fall or run any branches in your eyes. They made fairly good progress, considering the difficulties before them and the darkness in the woods. However, they kept close to the edge, where the tree growth was not very heavy, and where the snow reflected sufficient light to guide their feet. Ernie ordered that none of the flashlights be used, and perhaps it was fortunate for success of the expedition that this order was issued and obeyed. The efforts of the boys were well-timed. Everything went like clockwork or so it afterward seemed. Two shadowy forms were discerned standing in the thicker darkness under the trees as the automobile arrived near the southern edge of the quarry. The boys were within easy attacking distance from the place where the two men stood. Ernie whispered the word halt, loud enough for his companions to hear him. They gathered around their leader, who hurriedly spoke thus. Now, everybody listen to me for orders. When I give the word, fire, you, Paul, John, Harry, and Jerry, fire your guns into the air. Be careful and shoot up toward the tops of the trees, so as not to hit anybody. Then I'll give the order to charge, and everybody let out an Indian war whoop, or something of the sort. We won't have to do any more shooting. Now, come on, we'll get closer. Those fellows are starting now. Even as he spoke, the two villainous individuals, with masks on their faces, dashed out from the timber and planted themselves in front of the automobile, with pistols leveled at the driver. The latter, according to the plan outlined in his note discovered by Johnny two times, slowed down the machine before the highwaymen appeared. At the command to halt, he came to a sudden stop and threw up his hands. Ready, fire, commanded Ernie in a loud voice. Two magazine shotguns and two target rifles 
exploded in quick succession. Without giving the two hold-up men time to determine whether they had been hit or not, the patrol leader issued his second order thus. Now, boys, after them, charge. No quarter for the rascals. Then followed a scene that, for rapidity of action, is not often surpassed by motion picture speed artists. End of chapter 7